and welcome back to Identity Architects, the podcast that spotlights pioneers in our industry who are changing the way that data is used to drive more engaging data-driven experiences. I'm your host, Ben Cicchetti, VP of Corporate Marketing here at InfoSum. And for this episode, our Enterprise Sales Manager, Kate Blacksell, sat down with Nick Travis, Head of Paid Digital Marketing at Lloyds Banking Group, to discuss data privacy, data ethics, the value exchange, and much, much more. Before I hand over to Kate, just a reminder to hit that subscribe button so you know when the latest episode of Identity Architects lands. But without any further delay, here's Kate's chat with Nick. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Um, So glad you could join us as I know you have a fountain of knowledge when it comes to data and identity. So I'm very excited to hear what you have to say on the topic. Um, I'm Kate, as you know, from the UK sales team at InfoSum, and I work directly with brands and media agencies. So let's kick this thing off. Um, For anyone who doesn't know you, can you give us a quick intro to Nick Travis and Lloyd's Banking Group? Who are you and what do you do? Oh, yeah. So uh, Nick Travis, I uh, head up uh, digital marketing and uh, public website content at uh, Lloyd's Banking Group. Uh, Lloyd's are clearly the, uh, one of the UK's largest banks, 250 years old. Uh, we are a, a multi-brand bank. So Lloyd's, Halifax, uh, Bank of Scotland, Scottish Widows, MBA, just to name a few. Um, uh, and yeah, something like kind of 25 million kind of customers across the kind of, uh, across the estate, uh, across varying kind of different products and brands. Um, and yeah, I, I'm a kind of, uh, a, a digital marketeer for as long as I can remember. I studied it at university and so I got 20 plus years of experience, which, uh, which makes me old these days, um, uh, as well as experience, um, but yeah, I am. Uh, I, I think and it's kind of a rare breed of kind of uh, a, a, a kind of technical marketeer, a kind of um, a, a bit of a data nerd, um, and also you know quite kind of hands on in kind of um, website builds and kind of um, uh, AI and uh, various other kind of uh, techery. Uh, but also still kind of uh, in charge of kind of driving the kind of creative kind of direction for our, for our digital stuff as well. So. Amazing. Well, it definitely sounds like you're the perfect uh, candidate for our podcast and excited, I guess, to kick off with talking about some of kind of the experiences you've had within the industry. So just to kind of warm things up a bit, I guess we're going to dive into a few quick fire kind of fun questions. Um Number one, what is your earliest memory of advertising? <laughs> yeah, I thought I got hard about this. Um, <laughs> it, uh, the, the ad I remember, the one I remember the earliest, and I'm sure there's others, but uh, definitely the one that always sticks with me is that John West uh, kind of um, salmon ad where the, the, the kind of um, John West man comes out creeping out the woods and kicks a bear in the private parts to steal the fish from him. Uh, with the kind of strap line of uh, John West goes uh, goes really far for your fish or something like that. I can't can't remember the marketing exactly, but yeah, I always remember that one. Uh, uh, it, it, I, so a real kind of tangible experience of our kind of great advertising that is both fun, kind of creates those kind of memorable experiences that live with people forever. So. 
Yeah, amazing. I mean, I think we were talking about it in the office yesterday and I know this isn't me answering the questions, but for me, it's that chew it advert where they go, we like to chew it, chew it. (laughs) Anything with kind of a strong um, jingle is good. So what was your first job in either advertising or marketing? I guess what kind of got you into the space? Yes, I mean, uh, I did, as I alluded to just, I did an e-commerce degree. Uh, I think I did the UK's first e-commerce degree, uh, although that's what they told us uh, during the prospectus. I don't think I ever actually checked, but I mean, it was early. Um, so it was like 2001, 2002. Um, but yeah, I did, did the e-commerce degree and then I finished uh, and I started at phones for you in their contact center as a kind of temporary kind of staff. Um, I deliberately taken the job there because I knew they had a website uh, and they were also five minutes from my house, which was quite convenient. Um, so that nice. I used to, on my lunch break, I used to go and sit outside the e-commerce department and um, badger the kind of uh, two or three guys that were kind of running their e-commerce team into how I thought I could help them improve uh, until uh, basically they got sick of the sight of me. And so I, all right, then if you think you can do it, you can kind of come up here and we'll, we'll test you out. Um, and then, yeah, never look back. I, you know, phones for you was a, an interesting environment to kind of work in, uh, whereby, you know, a couple of people could leave and suddenly this kind of, um, 23 year old kid who's got kind of virtually no experience, uh, apart from his big mouth, um, <laughs> They could go, well, can you do this? And they'll be like, oh, I think I can, yeah. And then, uh, you, you know, off you go. And you're given the opportunity to kind of um, build a kind of e-commerce team uh, across kind of paid search and affiliates and SEO um, and uh, on, uh, uh, t- do acquisitions of other other kind of mobile businesses. So, yeah, that's my that was my first job. Uh, and kind of, uh, I was super lucky to get that one. And uh, it has been a solid foundation for everything I've done since. Yeah, amazing. You don't often hear um, people kind of use their, well, their degree actually relating to their first job. So, yeah, well done for that. Yeah, I don't um, find knowing, <laughs> um, knowing what you know now, what would you say to yourself when you started your career? I mean, it sounds like you had a very good kind of early start career path, but still a good question yeah um i I would think it's just uh, probably a little cliche but you 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 know you're capable of so much more than than you think you are you know it's always my advice to kind of any junior members of the team right you know don't be scared of anything right you know those bits where you're the most scared they're the bits where you're going to learn the most about yourself um and you know you can do just about anything, right? You know, you might not know how to do it uh, and it might scare the hell out of you that you don't know how to do it. Uh, but, you know, take those steps. Right? Those are the bits where you will learn the most about yourself and where you'll develop the most skills. Yeah, amazing feedback. Um, what do you love most about what you do right now and in the industry we're in? Uh, I mean, so I... I I've always loved digital marketing. Uh, you know, I've been doing it for 20 plus years uh, and uh, I've reflected on this kind of many times and the bit I love about it, it's never the same, right? You know, if I look at the industry that I started in, 
um, and, and you know we just had paid search, and then we brought in uh, affiliates and display, and you know I've literally watched the kind of landscape layer on complexity, and then tie itself in knots and layer on some more complexity, and then kind of remove a bunch of stuff that ends up adding more complexity. Right? I love the fact that it never stands still. There's always new things to learn, new kind of channels, new ideas, new devices, platforms, technology, right? Um, and it's, it's never ending. Uh, for some people, that can kind of feel exhausting and frustrating, but um, I, I thrive in that, and that is genuinely what kind of uh, makes me kind of get up in the mornings. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. I think even in the past two years since I've been at InfoSum, things have changed dramatically within kind of our industry within the digital marketing ecosystem you're always learning um so yeah definitely a great industry to be in um i guess within our industry we're obviously obsessed with the concept of identity at the moment it's what this podcast is all about um so one of the questions i've got for you is Obviously, identity is the ability to identify individuals across devices and platforms. But how would you actually explain the term to a 10 year old? Uh, Always a tricky question. How would you explain it to a 10 year old? So uh, I think the the bit about identity is um, uh, to keep it as simple as possible. I think you have to just explain in in what does what is it? What is it doing? Right. You, you, You know, uh, your identity is in it's kind of it's kind of fungible as well isn't it right so um uh, identity in a kind of a social platform is actually kind of more of a one-to-one kind of thing um identity on a kind of connected tv is is more of a household thing uh, so, so you know what is identity is it, it's not a particularly easy question to, to answer so it's more about kind of um how do you use the information on any kind of given device to kind of deliver kind of relevant kind of ads? Right? Yeah. You know, so if I was explaining it to uh, my 10 my year old, uh, uh, I, <laughs> I would be, uh, you, you know, uh, your device knows that you watch or play uh, X, X, Y, or Z, right? Uh, and therefore, you, you know, your device is able to kind of broadcast the advertisers to say, they're interested in these things and you're going to see ads about kind of Fortnite, I would imagine. (laughs) Nice. Perfect explanation. So a few fun ones at the end. Um, What keeps you awake at night? Work related. Well, actually it doesn't have to be, but I guess that's (laughs) the aim of the question. Um, I'm I'm super passionate about kind of... um, data ethics right um uh, so that's not regulation um, um it, it's it's ethically what should we be doing with customer data uh, would a customer reasonably expect that uh with the consents that they've given us and the transparency over our current disclosures would they reasonably expect that we would use their data in this way uh, and i think kind of there needs to be kind of more focus in the industry around kind of ethics um and organizations and setting their own kind of ethical standards of who do you want to work with right you know do the kind yeah. of and ad tech partners reach your ethical standards not the kind of um 
it, have they got some kind of GDPR loophole they can get through or actually like you know what data do they take how do they do it does it kind of are you comfortable that it meets your ethical standards and that you are comfortable therefore being associated with them um, so yeah data ethics is the is the bit that kind of keeps me awake at night and making sure that we do the right thing uh, at, at all times with the kind of trust that has been put in us with, from our customers. Perfect. And would you say that that's also what kind of motivates you in the morning? I know you mentioned already that our sort of changing industry is one of the things that kind of gets you up in the morning. But is there anything else specifically? Um, well, I mean, I'm a performance marketer at heart. So kind of, uh, you, you know, getting up and kind of making sure we've got the kind of most effective marketing activity that we can and that it's driving the kind of uh, business results is, is genuinely what gets me out of bed and has done in any job I've been in. Oh, great. Um, and I guess that this leads on to, if there was a song that was the soundtrack of your life or a song that perhaps would get you up in the morning, what would that be? Ah, so I went on a slightly different angle on this one. Uh, rather than necessarily a soundtrack to your life, I went for a kind of soundtrack to my work life uh, and kind of okay. in interconnected into the conversation we've already been having. I went for uh, a bit of an obscure one. Shed 7, Chasing Rainbows, because I feel like digital marketing is a little bit like that, right? You, you know, it's just as you feel like you're approaching that pot of gold, uh, the thing is off over the next hill and off you go again. And I think that kind of, sums up my career <laughs> in digital marketing is uh, forever kind of chasing rainbow oh what a great analogy yeah. i'm afraid to say i actually don't know that song so i'll have to listen to it afterwards but very very good analogy um okay so we've been through the fun stuff let's kind of deep dive into what identity of architects podcast is all about um the specific topic related questions um so if we begin I'd like you to take us on a journey. How has Lloyd's Banking Group been preparing for the first party data era and the cookie-less future? And what are your thoughts on the status quo in the industry right now? Yeah, I mean, I love this uh, question in, it, in its uh, breadth and depth. Um, it's a, it's a, yeah, a real kind of meaty one to kind of get stuck into. So um, I think... First and foremost, um, at, at Lloyd's, we are um, a kind of very risk-averse uh, business that kind of uh, has focused very much on making sure that we have proper consents um, and what we are doing is transparent and that the users have uh, an understanding of what it is and an ability to opt out of it. Uh, and therefore, you know, our kind of journey has been very much focused on building those appropriate consents into the, the correct parts of the journey um, and making sure that the, the users are, are able to kind of opt in and out of those um, at, at, at their kind of discretion. So that's, that's the first thing. Um, that was the kind of foundation for us. Um, I was like, partly by um, accident, we ended up slightly but well, having to kind of run at this a bit faster than lots of other kind of businesses, uh, owing to the fact that our um, application forms and our website are on two different domains. So back in 2017, when uh, Apple scrapped the third-party cookie, we lost all of our tracking. We could no longer see any conversions in Safari. So um, this kind of wow. 
this bit that lots of other businesses are facing into is the impending disaster has been our disaster for quite some time um, and therefore we've been having to try and innovate and to kind of uh, make sure that we've got the consent make sure that we've got the kind of um, serve to server integrations uh, and kind of building kind of uh, cookie-less solutions uh, for the last kind of few years in order to kind of uh, get our get our own house in order and get back to, to, to where we were so uh, at the time, that was that was particularly frustrating, and that no one else was really feeling the same pain as us. Uh, and uh, compounded on top of that, then you, you know we've also had the migration of lots of our kind of um, uh, applications from uh, web to mobile app, and uh, the, the kind of uh, how do we kind of track between the kind of the, uh, uh, the web and uh, uh, app when the kind of bank security kind of um, procedures around SDKs have been kind of quite. Um, challenging for us to kind of get SDKs in and doing the things that we need them to do. So, yeah, lots of measurement issues that I think we've we've probably been running at for a lot longer than a lot of other advertisers. Yeah, I mean, comparatively, it definitely seems like um, Lloyd's Banking Group is slightly ahead of the curve, I think, in their kind of first party data journey based on what you've just said. But it sounds like because of those sort of issues you had to overcome early on, um, yeah, plus, and actually, that leads me on, I guess. I suppose we'll also, I would also kind of say that um, we've also seen the strategic benefit in utilizing our first party data, right? You, you, you know, to create a great banking experience uh, requires us to be able to kind of reach, uh, you know, cliche or not, reach the right customers with the, with the right products in our instance at the right time. Like, you, you, you know, people, people do not want. A, a loan uh, every kind of month, right? Uh, in reality, they don't want a loan kind of uh, very often in their life, right? So, you know, the average person maybe takes out kind of five or six loans in their lifetime, uh, probably between the ages of kind of uh, 20 and kind of uh, 50, right? You know, that means that you're trying to sell a loan every kind of decade, really. So, you know, you don't want to just be pushing loan actual kind of apply for a loan message out all of the time to all of your audience so you know it's incumbent on us to kind of take the data that we've got and our understanding of where customers are in their kind of life stages and life cycles uh, to try and make sure that we get the kind of most relevant kind of products or the most kind of relevant kind of messaging about the products uh, in front of people to help them prepare for what comes next or to help them kind of um uh, complete their financial task that was in front of them. Yeah, sounds good. Um, I think based on kind of how Lloyd's Banking Group or how you've been preparing for this kind of first party data era, has there been any specific challenges other than what you've already kind of um, spoken about that you've had to overcome and any, I guess, really specific learnings from that that you can share? I guess specifically ones that could be of interest to, I guess, other kind of um, highly regulated uh, industries. Yeah, I mean, I think speaking, I speak to lots of other advertisers about this sort of stuff all the time. Um, And and the most common one um, is um, consents. You know, lots of people are very comfortable with kind of cookie notices and just kind of popping them up. Um, in many respects, I think lots of people were too comfortable with cookie notices, um, that they, they thought they covered them to do more things than they actually did. 
Uh, and as we kind of step into this kind of world of um, server to server integrations and uh, sharing kind of hashed uh, kind of personal information and identifiers and uh, doing kind of more kind of in-depth kind of uh, integrations with kind of publishers and platforms. Um, uh, lots of advertisers are starting to kind of, well, my cookie consent doesn't cover me to do this. My privacy notice doesn't cover me to do this. I, how do I do it? I, you know, that is the hardest bit, right? You, you, you know, um, it was the bit we did first before we attempted anything. Um, I, I do see there's a, a kind of, um, there, there are some advertisers in, in, who are still trying to just use cookie policies and privacy notices to kind of get around all of it. I, I would go back to my kind of data ethics argument. I, I, I think, like, for me, I think you're on. If you're, if you are doing that, you are in a. I'm not even sure it's a grey area. I, 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 I would argue you're potentially in breach of GDP, GDPR, or probably in breach of GDPR, um, and that you should be kind of asking yourselves how do you kind of get a, a more kind of robust kind of um, consent framework in. Um, but that is, you know, each business is each legal department's kind of job to kind of go through and kind of figure that one out. Um, for us, it was about kind of trying to figure out where do we capture our consent? Where's the most optimal place to do it? Um, you, you know, I was loath to put uh, our consent journey um, into application forms just because um, the context isn't right uh, in, in the kind of application journeys. People are kind of preconditioned to say, no to all the marketing stuff, right? Uh, whereas uh, we kind of eventually opted to put it into our um, app onboarding journey, uh, where I just think the kind of the dynamic is different. The first time someone downloads your app, it's all about, oh, how can I get the most out of this experience? What can you do for me? Um, uh, and that just felt like a better place to, 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 to embed our consent and has been kind of supported in the kind of consent rates that we've seen. So, yeah. I, I think that's that, that's the biggest issue for people, just understanding what consents are required, where can you capture your consents, how can you make sure that the consents are kind of robust enough to be kind of uh, GDPR or whatever the UK equivalent is these days compliant. Yeah, 100%. And I think, I mean, I talk to brands and agencies every day and it's the difference between, um, yeah, the difference to how advanced people brands are in this first party data journey um is vastly wide and i think as you said making sure you don't kind of um skip or cut corners around the consent piece is obviously going to save you work further down the line so yeah and um is more ethical as you said um so talking about consumers and their needs, from your point of view, why is it so important for companies to put their consumer first and include them and their wishes in business decisions? Yeah, I, just, I suppose uh, ultimately for me, again, this comes down to kind of our data ethics, right? Um, it, it's not our data, it's the customer's data, right? Um, if you're guided by that, um, it kind of makes you kind of think about, well, what data am I capturing? Do I need to capture the data that I've captured? Uh, if I do need to capture it, would the customer agree that I need to capture it? And uh, you, you know, how does me utilizing this data kind of benefit me or or the customer? Right? Um, uh, and if that benefits more me than customer, I, you know, is that right? Um, and that's you know, partly what the GDPR balancing test is all about, right? So. Um, 
I, I always think, yeah, let's collect the right data. Uh, let's make sure that we can use it to kind of um, uh, actively kind of make the kind of customer experience better. Um, uh, and that, you, you know, doing so, the customer would agree, right? You, you know, um, there's lots of different kind of use cases within the bank, right? you, you, you know, most of which I would hope the customers would expect us to do, right? you, you, you know, if we know a customer isn't eligible for a loan or a credit card, uh, is it right for us to use that information to exclude them from, from advertising about those products? that is ethically the right thing to do, right? We shouldn't talk to customers about products we know they aren't eligible for, right? It kind of creates a brand, a bad brand experience. It creates a bad customer experience. It creates potential kind of detriment kind of um, against kind of credit scores and stuff. So it's, that is the right thing to do. And we would expect our customers would expect us to be doing that sort of stuff. Um, uh, likewise, you, you know, if a customer is eligible for a kind of specific product, uh, product or promotion and we've seen them looking for that product they would ex probably expect us reasonably to reach out and kind of make sure uh, that they're aware of the promotion that we've got on that product so yeah that, 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 that's how we get guided by right you know using this data and using the kind of targeting capability we've got should create kind of better experiences it should make the brand seem more relevant and more in touch uh, with the kind of customers kind of needs and situation uh, and should be kind of uh, therefore beneficial to both to both sides of the kind of um, the exchange. Definitely, and I think for such a strong kind of um, brand like Lloyd's Banking Group, it's all about building that trust, right, with your consumers as well. Um, so it's important to make sure kind of you're doing everything that you can to do that. Um, given that, I guess in your kind of view, how should the industry view empowering? consumers to take control of their data in order to build I guess a more powerful ecosystem like how can you make your customers feel more confident as well in taking advantage of kind of the tools that are around to do this yeah I mean I think this is a really really interesting area um that at some point you know there's lots of regulations um around kind of uh, what uh, advertisers and platforms should be doing. Um, I would like there at some point to be a kind of focus on kind of cent centralizing some of this kind of identity and advertising kind of preferences bit. I mean, they've, they've had a go at kind of ad choices and stuff, uh, but I'd like to see that be taken a, a step further, right? Uh, kind of creating a kind of a proper centralized kind of um, identity kind of uh, management piece whereby users can manage their preferences but also a vehicle whereby um, consumers and users of these platforms can be educated on kind of, uh, you know, ultimately the, the internet is free uh, for uh, nearly most of, uh, nearly all of the content that's on it and free at entry, free to use, uh, you know, but very, uh, and the reality is it's free because we all kind of signed this kind of contract without knowing it that you you know you can use this for free but people are going to advertise to you and that's what actually makes it free um but everyone seems to have signed that contract but not really understand that they have so you, you know i do think there's a, there's a kind of um, the, the potential benefit of kind of creating a kind of a centralized kind of 
uh, ad choices type thing that enables people to kind of choose which ads they're getting, uh, which ads they don't want to get, which uh, how much data they want to disclose or not disclose. Uh, you, you know, if you can imagine a, a center whereby you're able to see these are the ads you're going to get if you turn off personalization, and these are the ads you're going to get if you turn on personalization. Right? That, you know, if you just ask that question, everyone goes, "Oh, I don't want personalized ads." Where actually, if you show the ads, they'll be like, "Well, yeah, I mean, I don't want a lot of ads about kind of women's trainers or business accounts or kind of." Um, card readers or you know stuff that's just of no interest to me right and then you look at the other set of ads and you think all oh, right uh, there's kind of a bunch of stuff about kind of uh, this me obviously you know football and cars and uh, whatever else you know all right that's me I, you know, if i'm gonna see ads which you, you know you are gonna see ads the internet is funded on them i'd rather see the ones that are aligned to my interests and the ones that aren't and so yeah i, I do think that's what we can where we kind of need to get to a kind of a more honest discussion around how the internet works and uh, also kind of I, I think doing it through some sort of kind of education centralization bit uh, although you know appreciate <laughs> is it incredibly complicated yeah i mean i think that's really interesting because the amount of conversations i've had with my mom or like my grandma where they're that exact same conversation where they're saying oh, I don't want to be kind of tracked across the internet. And then you say, okay, but wouldn't you rather have personalized ads as to just having kind of random ones? Like the only way really to get around that is to pay, a, I guess, a subscription fee or go down some kind of other model. So yeah, yeah it's an interesting point. Um, what would your prediction of the future of data collaboration and privacy be? And where do you see the industry in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, it's another good question. Um, uh, I mean, I think we carry on on the trajectory that we're on, right, where um, data privacy um, and, and regulation become kind of more restrictive um, from, from an appetizer sense. Right? Uh, but I, I think that I think that is a good thing for advertisers and customers. Like, you, you, you know, I think it forces advertisers to um, get the proper consents and do the proper disclosures uh, and for customers then to make informed choices about the advertisers that they want to engage with and the content that they want to see from them. Um, so yeah, I, I think that this trend continues, if not accelerates, um, but the, the, the net effect of that over the kind of long term is that um, uh, advertisers are able to kind of, um, and you see this already starting to pop up, right? Um, you, you, you know, you've got your kind of FMCGs and kind of uh, telcos and uh, TV people, uh, your newspapers, right? You, you know, there are subscription walls popping up everywhere, right? Uh, yeah. And these subscription walls are enabling brands and advertisers and platforms to understand more about their users uh, than ever before, to understand exactly who they are and what they're doing. Um and that is, you know, for the advertisers and the platforms that are able to do it right and to disclose it right and you know, make sure that kind of customers have got that kind of full kind of understanding of what's going on with it. There's huge upside there, right? So I, I do think this is long-term good for both advertisers, well, for all three, for advertisers, uh, platforms, and kind of uh, customers. Yeah, definitely. Um, so finally, we're very nearly at the end of our podcast. Um, 
but I wanted to see if there's anything you were kind of desperate to say and haven't been able to say yet um anything that you wanted to add essentially um yeah I suppose I mean, we, we haven't we haven't really talked about kind of the use of clean rooms um too much uh, which I, I genu- genuinely think are a really interesting innovation um uh, and I, I'm not gonna kind of uh, sit here and shamelessly plug info so um, you guys can do that without me. Um, <laughs> but, um, I, I do. They are an innovation that allows um, kind of collaboration in a kind of really kind of safe, privacy-led uh, way, um, uh, and that will become an increasingly important part of the kind of the marketing mix. I'm not going to say digital marketing mix, right? You know, for me kind of digital and traditional are, are one and the same things and kind of on your five time year five year time horizon we were discussing just they'll be indistinguishable by the kind of end of that so um yeah the ability to kind of use clean rooms to get into tv into press into radio uh, and to kind of understand uh before you buy activity you know what your customers doing where are they kind of going like you know kind of uh, got a really kind of niche brief about something to be able to kind of go in and use the kind of clean room process to find out where would my advertising be most effective uh, and then to be able to go and kind of execute and kind of buy against it yeah i, I think that's kind of really kind of transformative uh, and i also think it's like the most compliant kind of way of kind of um, doing kind of um, data and kind of targeting yeah, great. I was hoping that you'd talk about um, clean rooms when you were talking about the future of collaboration and privacy. So, yeah, glad to hear that you're kind of um, pro the way that they can help within that space. Um, finally, this podcast is all about kind of individuals who've pioneered new ways to use data to deliver better customer experiences. So when you look at people you admire in the industry, is there anyone you'd nominate for us to interview in an upcoming episode? Tricky question, but hopefully there's lots of people. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I haven't actually spoken to him about this, but yeah, there's uh, Adam <laughs> Carlage at uh, Farfetch um, or um, Hitesh at uh, Shell uh, are both kind of uh, really interesting people when it comes to kind of uh, data and tech. Fab. Thanks for the recommendation. Um, So that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, What a great way to spend a Friday morning. And that was just as interesting and informative as I hoped it would be. Thank you, Nick. Good stuff. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Nick for joining us on Identity Architects. You know, these podcasts are designed to focus on innovation in data and identity. And I'm always so thrilled to hear how often our guests are hyper-focused on the consumer and doing right by them. As Nick puts it, this comes down to data ethics because it's not our data, it's the customer's data. All that leaves for me to do is to remind you to hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode of Identity Architects lands. But until then, thanks for listening.